guys uh, are in the field and you're, you start out as a junior companion and then, then something happens and you flip over to be a senior companion. Is that just due to experience or can you be a really gung-ho guy and be a senior companion within your first two months? Uh, Not within your first two months probably, but within like if you're really gung-ho about it, you could probably get within like six months of getting So it's partially, partially based on merit. Yeah. yeah and so do you have anybody who can make it the entire mission without being a senior companion? <laughs> yes. <laughs> There are people that that, that happens yeah. to. Because like if you that never learn awesome. the language well, then they can't really you can't really be in charge if you don't understand what's going on. So you could yeah. be a junior companion the entire mission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, yeah. That's awesome. My trainer was um trained me in his first area. So he had been there for uh three three transfers. So he basically had four and a half months in the field when he was training me. And he was the worst trainer <laughs> ever. Um, basically, he's uh, he was a total jock, and so and as you can guess, I'm a little bit of a nerd. And um, <laughs> so you're the guy with the drumsticks, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't think he ever saw my drumsticks, but um, you didn't. Well, but, maybe uh, that was your problem. You didn't pull out your drumsticks in front of him. Now I know. Fight him with the drumsticks. So, Defend your honor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what he would do is uh, he would make everything just more difficult than he had to be. He would he would just like uh, always had this. Every conversation was so contentious, and uh, you know he would lie to me about everything. He would say stuff like, um, you know, you have to pay tithing on your monthly allowance, which wasn't true. Then he would talk about uh, he would talk crap on like every other mission uh, missionary and mission, like saying how we have it so much harder than everyone else, and we're gonna work so much harder than everyone else. And we're, what's we're, the martyr complex? In totally. The and, Can you uh, beat the ass of another missionary while you're there? You get sent home. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll get you sent home. And if you uh, and if you um, throw a punch like in an area, that area gets closed, and you have the the salvation of that whole area on your shoulders. Like so hanging over your you head. You will never fight back. You will just run away. Wow! Or just Holy take it. shit! So, uh, yeah, and he'd also say stuff like um, uh, that. There are other mission. There's other missions like you know if you go to a, a Utah mission. The members will buy you food and, and sometimes just give you money, and then they'll put it into its own separate account, and they'll actually uh, make money off of their mission and just say stuff like that, just these long just bullshit stories to make me feel bad and, and go, wow, I got really shafted, and, but, we're, but we're awesome and we're special and we're going to be better and we're going to be the best ever. And uh, like every contact in the street, uh, if they didn't just completely uh, agree with them, he would always end it with like, yeah, well, we'll see who's right in the last day when we're standing in front of the <laughs> of our God. Like, every contact was like That's, that. That is awesome. Ass. 
Yeah. And we'll oh see who's right when we're both dead. Is that the most <laughs> childish thing anybody's ever heard? I mean, that's like... It I'm really is. Blue, yeah, right? but you hear it routinely. I mean, you hear it routinely. I mean, I get it from my parents all the time. Well, after you die, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, we'll all so, be atheists at that point, Mom. Thanks. <laughs> and when of course, we, I... if, if they're right, they get the uh, chance to gloat over me. If I'm right, no one wins. No one wins, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have... Um, every week you're supposed to have, like, a companionship inventory... Uh, which it's what it's called. It's where you basically sit down and talk about how we're doing as companionship, how's the area, and what are things it's we can like, work on. It's like Any marriage counseling. Stuff. Yeah, really. Uh, kind of. And uh, and <laughs> you guys oh, discuss yeah. positions at this point. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're very the mission. The missions are very goal. The missionary oriented. position is what you were about to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Have you been happy with my performance this week? <laughs> You know, I've been pitching a lot, and I think it's time. <laughs> I was wondering which one of us was going to go all the way. So. Hello, senior companion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so the mission is very goal-oriented. So you're, like, you're supposed to have a goal of how many people you're going to teach, how many people you're going to baptize. And it's really all about families was the main focus is getting families because there's the, they're the, uh, the, the most basic unit of the church is the family. And, uh, where they can create more little Mormons, so that the focus is always uh, getting uh, getting the family. So uh, we would post these goals, and they're always just some insane goal. We're going to baptize three families in the next six weeks, and you know, you go around, you're looking for families, and and uh, and most guys have done like two in their whole mission. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> two baptisms sometimes. Yeah. But uh, so and what we do what he would do is he would take that uh, scripture from Moroni it's where he's talking I think it's like Moroni 6 9 or something like that where it's uh, uh, where we will take upon ourselves the sins of the people if we don't do our best or we don't you know comply with our goals and he even like not even kidding cut himself and and marked it with his bloody thumb <laughs> on this thing to like make the contract I didn't fucking do that I, I oh my god well it's like you're like that's kind of a cult though, what you're doing there. yeah and uh, I mean, and he was a really shitty missionary too I mean like his trainer was like this super gung ho he was actually called the machine because he was just you know so intense and, and was uh, that you wanted to kneecap him we understand yeah, yeah. and uh, then when he was in charge like we were walked around doing my. What we did most of all actually was hang out with. He had a family that like him and his trainer found and baptized. And they were it was an awesome family, everything. But we spent like all the time over there. There's basically him bragging about his accomplishment and just reveling in his victory. And then we never really did anything else like outside of that except for like eat ice cream and hang out in the chapel. Like he was a crappy missionary. And uh, you kidding? That's kick ass. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm like, that would have been. Well, this is while I'm there. I'm supposed to be trained, so I'm like, I'm feeling, you know, useless, obviously, because I can't understand what these people are saying because they don't have any teeth. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm like, well, I need to get out there and be and learn how to do this job. But he wouldn't teach me anything. So he's being not only useless, but also treating me like crap and lying to me, you know, all the time. And uh, what was really frustrating about that is that um, you know, we we even had this. Um, uh, we had a baptism like at the end where it was there were 10 people at that baptism the mission prison came down it was beaming it was you know the mo this is like the culmination of his awesomeness in this area and like not even a year goes by all of them were inactive because you know, you'd go around just teaching the lessons and trying to baptize people who 
didn't who weren't really ready at all yeah not even close you know the people like i could tell immediately like the day after they were baptized they're never coming to church again i know these people don't (laughs) care at all another one they're a pretty cool family but um like they they weren't doing what they were supposed to to get ready they weren't going to church they weren't reading and praying they were doing the things they were supposed to be doing like you know you have a series of commitments that you that you do and uh like the final thing that he did to convince him to get baptized He's, he starts telling the dad about church welfare. <laughs> if you oh. join the church, you can get church welfare. I'm like, are you kidding me? Beautiful. Yeah, that's so, perfect. Literally bribing people. To, yeah, bribing people to go into the church. And then what made me sick was after that, he was made a zone leader you know, because he was he was this grand champion. He had he had uh, three families under his belt by the time he left his first area, and that was you know that was huge. You know, at, you know. It was, had a family then he was trained and then he had these two families in one baptism and the president was there it was all in the and it was it was just a big big show and then uh, he became his own leader and then he became the assistant to the president like the right hand man so i'm watching this, this disgusting man being put in charge of the place and i'm going there's, there's no way the president can see this guy and think that he is leader material like how, how do you how do you promote this guy and it was then you decided there was no God. <laughs> the only way that I could make peace with that was uh, so like, well, uh, the Lord uses imperfect instruments and maybe just this kind of responsibility. You know, you keep unpacking on the responsibility, it'll straighten them out, right? Is where we get these callings that we're in no way qualified to do, and then we get, you know, uh, built up to be able to. Yeah. Do. Uh, I gotta ask, how how could you possibly restrain yourself? Because I would be causing this guy trouble. I mean, of course, from the shadows, you know, uh, letting the air out of his tires, things like that, <laughs> just all over the place, just because he sounds like a such a douchebag. Yeah, he was really big. He was a big football player. <laughs> Well, that's why you do it from the shadows. He can't hit you. You're on a mission. What's he going to do? Get sent home? Nice. I'd get sent home too, and then I'd be screwed. Now, Michael, just egg him on until he punches you. (laughs) It sounds like that was the biggest douchebag you met on on your mission. What about you, Chris? Who's the biggest douchebag you met on your mission? Um, That's really – that's a tough one because (laughs) – He's got a lot to pick from. I'm going to have to narrow that down. Yeah, and, well, and I didn't really meet anybody that was like that, that was just doing these things that are just straight-up evil. But there's just, you know, you get trained to be a douchebag, to be really annoying. That... So what you're saying is you were the biggest douchebag yeah. you on your mission. Yeah, we all tied for biggest douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> what was the prize? <laughs> you get sent home. <laughs> you gotta go home. You, you aren't extended for six weeks. So. Yeah, the bigger the douche you are, the hotter your wife. I think is what. The yeah. Douche <laughs> nice. All right. So you're as an as an assistant to the president. Oh my god. He uh, what he would go around like when he was a zone leader. I'm sorry. No, when he was an assistant to the president, he went around to the different um the meetings, the big mission meetings where everyone gets together. And he would uh, draw this grid on the blackboard, and he would just point to an area and say, how many families are you baptizing this transfer in the next six weeks? How many contacts are you going to do every week? And, and he made people commit to these insane numbers, like with no knowledge of their area or their circumstances. And then he wrote in this book, and that was his like spiritual thought. You know, They're all supposed to get up and give like uh, sermons and stuff. And that was just him 
pressuring people into you know making up these great numbers to impress them, and they're like, I'm gonna check up on you on those, and we'll see how you do. And he just pressured the hell out of them. Yeah, it's all just pressure, pressure, pressure all the time mm-hmm. Once to again, have I these numbers. Once again, do anything to him. I'm serious. I would have yeah. a heyday with that guy. No, because that's, I mean, that is exactly what's expected of someone in that position, that you put pressure on the people below you to achieve these numbers that aren't realistic, and then all the, all the people underneath them just feel inadequate. So you don't feel angry at the guy for making you do that. You feel inadequate because you can't reach these goals. That right. he's made you set. It's like that, you know, like, um, was it the Kent Hovind's dissertation, the bullying, them, bullying people into feeling dumb so they agree with you kind of a thing. You know, you just assume that you're inadequate. Yeah. And, right. But, like, the, the mission president, who I, I liked him anyway, he's, he's kind of a cool guy. Um, but also, he's supposed to be, like, inspired, right? And, and, they, and every time, like, there was a problem, you know, we had a problem with one of the uh, AP things. Like, you don't believe the president's inspired? I said, no. Uh, I mean, yeah, I believe he's inspired. I don't believe you're inspired. I think you're going against his wishes. <laughs> yeah, this is the same asshole who's being, you know, groomed to be the president's right hand man, and he was the right president's right hand man for like six months. He was for a, oh. a long time, and uh, everyone worshipped this guy, and it made me sick because I saw the stuff he was doing, and um, and he was uh, he didn't obey the rules either. He would make all kinds of personal phone calls, uh, and he did he broke like every rule. But he baptized families, so he was amazing. He talked big. Well, wait, wait, wait. So how do, how do you fit that into your mind with God? I mean, you got this president who's supposed to be inspired by God. He can tell who's telling lies, who's telling truth. How is it the president wasn't seeing this evil? And how did you look at that and go, oh, well, uh, how, how do I reconcile this? Exactly. And again, the only way I could do that was to just assume that the president knew what was going on but was aware that this calling that he got was going to straighten him out just by making him work so hard. That's the only way I could do that. It's it's pretty tenuous, but uh, that's that's all I had. <laughs> that's all I could <laughs> and do. So I'll make a prediction. Funny. His dickish behavior didn't change. No. Uh, Probably intensified. No, in fact, it got much, much worse. <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you, this is the this is this is a thing that like was a major crisis of faith for me in the mission. What he did was, uh, remember the uh, um, sealing the goals with your blood thing? Okay, he did that the, on this grand scale of the whole mission. What he did was he, he typed up this whole thing, like, you know, using the title of liberty, like there was like a, what do you call it, a watermark, or the picture of the, uh, behind the text. And um, you know, this whole thing, like, we're the mission, we're going to be the most awesome, we're going to baptize this many families, this many things, we're going to do this, and, and just like, like massive impossible task for the entire mission and made everyone in the mission sign it you know on the back of it it's a big uh, manifesto we had which which i only signed it under duress i said i don't want to sign that because those goals are are insane and uh what you were supposed to do also is every morning um before you go out to pray uh, to uh, preach for the day you're supposed to uh you know you'll have your companionship prayer and you talk a little bit what we were also supposed to do in, in our mission was testify to your companion of the truthfulness of the work and the the uh, divine nature of your calling, and you're supposed to uh, pray and make covenants with God that you're going to find so, so many people to baptize and and uh, find so many people to teach and and uh, on all the stats and stuff. So you're making covenants with God, saying, "God, I covenant with you that I will find two families this week every day," and uh, you know not only is that awful. But it's actually against Mormon doctrine. 
uh, in one of the meetings, one of our guys, like I, I had a problem with that right, o- right away. I said, that's insane. First of all, like, why am I deciding the terms of God? And these are also, once again, things I have no control over. And I can't control if family is going to want to get baptized or not, right? So um, uh, in one of the meetings, one of, our, uh, one of the elders stood up and said, um, you can't make covenants. And he pulled out the Bible dictionary and read the definition in which it says, God makes the terms of the covenant and man accepts it. Man does not make the terms. You cannot fabricate covenants. And uh, said, so, so what did he say? He said, that's nice and went right back on and doing his thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why you would sit there and bear your testimony to your companion. That would just irritate me. Well, because they believe it's like, you know, you ever play Street Fighter 2 where you have your turbo bar, you know, where you, you have your health bar and then your turbo bar. Once you fill up your turbo bar, you can do the special attacks. Like, it's kind of like uh, having the spirit, if you could quantify it, in your Street Fighter 2 alpha turbo bar. And uh, so you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of turbo, as it were, when you fast or when you pray or when you testify. I think that that's the way I kind of always thought of it. As. Yeah, that's pretty messed up, too, because you have guys out on the street working like a 16-hour day, and then you tell them to fast to, while they're doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, starve yourself. That's a recipe dude. for disaster. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so, he, so one of the leaders asked me, like, so are you going to do this? And I said, no. It's the only time I, like, I ever talked back to him. I said, no, why not? Because it's not a covenant. And he just looked at me and said, it is a covenant, and then moved on to the next guy. So even the mission president was a dick. No, he he wasn't there. It was it was so weird how oh, he was just wait, so passionate. Yeah, this yeah this is uh yeah my my trainer almost elder douche yeah. yeah elder douche yes elder douche canoe yeah <laughs> but uh, yeah so that that for me was very difficult. That was the only time like like as as we talk about these experiences, I kind of like I want is this the beginning of the end for my testimony was or is this just one thing? I mean, because right. it is a little bit of a cumulative effect, but uh, I'll, I'll get into later what actually may be the very beginning of the end for me. But um, what but gets I, me is that you—you you were, I mean, you bought this stuff. You were a hundred percent. Uh huh. You believe this. This was all true, um, and all this stuff is happening around you. So I can see as it kind of chips away. You want to maintain the core, but you're willing to say, "Well, okay, <laughs> there's some really douchebag stuff happening around me. I guess that's just life." Blah blah blah. Or there's some sort of hidden motive of God has. He's got some sort of goal in mind. I don't know, but you can only take so much of that before the whole edifice comes crumbling down. Yeah, and for me, it was really just uh, once you see the facts. When you're faced with facts that are inconvenient for you, you can either deny them or <laughs> follow the truth. And uh, most people choose just deny them. Oh, it's just propaganda. It's just this. I'm like, no, was it no. a um, was it a rather sudden thing for you? I know Layton's testimony kind of got shattered fairly suddenly. I mean, the process itself was fairly long, but it kind of all snowballed up and and. Uh, over the course of maybe a couple of weeks, just exploded. Was yeah. that the same for you? It just kind of slowly gathered momentum and then, um, bam, just crashed all at once? Uh, for me, it was quite the slap in the face. It was, um, you know, I was hanging out with my brother. And, uh, well, first of all, you know, I talked about this last time also where I get back from my mission and, you know, God's promises are not being fulfilled. Nothing's working out for me. Nothing makes sense. Nothing feels good anymore. And I'll explain why later. Um, but because you were an alcoholic, 
Yes. <laughs> the prostitutes gave you crabs. It never. <laughs> that is I should be protected, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I had my garments on when we were doing it. Why was I protected? <laughs> it, what's really interesting to me is that one of the things that um, that was always really important to me, and that was taught by my dad, and, and I think a lot in the mission was uh, was integrity. That you do what you say you're going to do. You know, they have the, the saying. Um, Forget who said it, it was. Uh, Whatever thou art, act well thy part. If you're going to be a missionary, you be a good missionary. If you're going to be, uh, you know, a police officer, you better be a good police officer. If you're going to be a good doctor, be a good doctor. And you know, w- you know, whatever role you choose to play, you do it the way you say you're going to do it. And that's for me. It was all about, you know, making my actions consistent with what you know what I say. You know, integrity is the exact opposite of hypocrisy. And um, for me, when I was listening to. Uh, um, the Skeptoid episode on, um, on the Book of Abraham, it, the very last line that Brian Dunning says is, any Mormons with intellectual integrity should look into this stuff. I said, he just called me out. I got to go for it. And I did, and that was it. Once, wow. once I looked at the Book of Abraham, bam, that was it. So uh, we talked about healthcare a little bit, but um, I'm actually kind of really interested in this because I've done a couple – Missionary physicals, and and I remember. Um, do you remember Stephanie from Arizona, Layton? You did her physical. I didn't do her physical, but she came over. She had asthma, and uh, she didn't have a doctor to prescribe her an inhaler, so I had to write her a script for an inhaler. Oh, that's right. She was constantly yeah. after you for stuff. Yeah, she, she was after me for a lot of stuff. So I was wondering, you know, don't these people have their own doctor? Don't they? Uh, doesn't the church pay for this stuff? Why is she pestering me? So oh, this is a missionary in the field that was yeah, yeah. oh a sister I mean, the, missionary really I mean because we had a mission doctor and I, I mean he was um, I don't know if it was like for um, you know the whole South America or like the whole Argentina because Argentina has like uh, I don't know eight or ten missions in it and uh, there's one temple in Argentina and that's basically where he lived and uh, not in the temple well, not in the temple <laughs> a special wing for him <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, in, an apartment near the temple, so that's kind of, and there's actually an NTC there at that temple spot too for for locals, and um, yeah, that's that's you know people were like really sick because there are there are hospitals in Argentina. Yeah, you don't have to be really sick to to go there though. Generally, what happens is you call up the mission president's wife and she tells you, uh, just have some Seven Up and crackers and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll solve everything. Yeah. It's the cure all. It's it is panacea. Yeah. I'm sorry, you, you, you've tested positive for HIV? Here, have some crackers. <laughs> and some Sprite to wash yeah, them so down. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that, you know, there was supposed to be like 7-Up in the crackers, supposed to like coat your stomach. Is, as if yeah. anything we had there was spicy. All the stuff was just bland, oily shit. It was so <laughs> gross. It was like, you know, it was mostly like noodles and um, really well, bad Italian pasta food. sauces. But without the good. Yeah. It was without any flavor whatsoever. I didn't have anything that tasted good for two years. It was except for the asados, of course. When you had a barbecue, they went all out because um, they take the time to cook. Well, they just meat have really good meat down there because it's all prearranged. Yeah, and they also take all day to cook because they would much rather do that than actually work. Uh, <laughs> so let me let me get this straight. All medical questions are fielded by the mission president's wife. First, yeah. At uh, first, yes. You have to. Get <laughs> oh my God! Really? 
who has no medical training whatsoever. And then if you and if you pass that, uh, you can talk to the president himself, who can give you authorization to see the mission doctor. So if and, the uh, <clears throat> Sprite and soda crackers didn't work, your next step is to the go to the mission president. Yeah, who pretty much never believed you ever. <laughs> wow, so there's two steps before you reach the doctor at all. Uh-huh. This guy doesn't want to be bothered. So probably the, this sister missionary um, is just trying to avoid all the hassle, basically. I ended up yeah. writing her some, some scripts for her asthma inhalers, and she uh, paid me back by telling my wife that uh, she needed to find a new husband because I wasn't Mormon. <laughs> yeah, and because her... you weren't going to fulfill your fatherly duties because you didn't yes. have the priesthood, if I'm and, remembering. Correctly. And she still has an eternal companion waiting somewhere out there. So... No, she doesn't. I remember her. No, she was telling my <laughs> wife. <laughs> oh, she oh well, in that case, that... I'm sure your wife could find somebody else, but not her, yeah. no. Yeah, that was her point, that her, my wife's eternal companion is waiting for her as we speak. So I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah, that's uh, the perfectly appropriate response to a favorite <laughs> one for you. <laughs> oh, thanks for healing me. Uh, why don't you uh, break up with your wife? Yeah. I appreciate that, yeah. So uh, while we're talking about health, uh, I think it would be important to mention that, um, you know, you're a lot of eight hours of sleep from uh, 1030 uh, to 630 every day. I mean... Uh, I never, ever got eight hours of sleep. Uh, either you were so worried about your particular investigators or you were just in so much pain from all the physical, uh, you know, all the walking around and stuff that you have to do on such little sleep, and it just continually grows and grows. Even if you sleep through an entire P-Day, it's never enough. You are never satisfied. You never feel well. And you're always just, it's almost like, you know, when you stay up till 3 or 4 in the morning, how you get kind of just dazed and loopy. That's it's kind of how that feels, and uh, I think before too long, most missionaries just sort of accept that as like I'm in a spiritual zone. Like this is how I, I I'm inspired. I feel like <laughs> yeah, it's I kind have of a this high yeah, because you're completely loopy. Yeah. <laughs> but your awesome. problem was you weren't eating enough soda crackers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you, you needed to... a sugar high to go along with the sleep deprivation. <laughs> and by the way, you can't have coke or caffeine at all, which sucks ass. Right, because uh, you're tired as hell. Um, and I, I mean, they they schedule you to go to sleep at what ten or ten thirty? Ten thirty. There's no way you're gonna hit the pillow and go right to sleep. So you're probably up for about forty five minutes, you know, trying to get to sleep, uh, and then you get up in the morning anyway. Yeah, that that's got to really cause some serious problems. I mean, you're freaked because people's eternal salvation is on your shoulder, and you're supposed right? to have several investigators at any given time. So you've got like, I've got three families and four individuals that uh, I have to do this right or they're going to be eternally screwed. It's just all a lot of pressure on you. And you're also living up to a higher standard. People treat you like, you know, you're this angel and you have to be perfect. And this is on top of, uh, you know, being malnourished, not ever having, you know, not having your needs met monetarily, but also you're walking around for like from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., you know, you're walking almost the entire day because almost every single appointment stands you up. So you're just walking around talking to anyone else you can. And so you you were overworked, undernourished, and uh, deprived of sleep. And that's not even counting all the food poisoning that I got down there. Um, <laughs> like one was like from this uh, undercooked shrimp. I was bedridden for two days. 
and uh, and it was it was just awful. And like just and like really... um, Alma the Younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you being tested? So that's the where that's I like. rose on the third day. Uh, <laughs> throw up another color. Like, yeah, it I, took a, it took a massive shit, and then he was fine. I, but he's yeah, alive. I leaked from uh, every orifice, almost every color of the rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> that was God speaking to you. Truly yeah. a miracle. Have you ever vomited purple? Like, it's just, <laughs> I'm kidding. Like every color, it was so gross. But um, I also um, had a really, really bad case of sinusitis that I'd never had it that bad before, and uh, I was I was actually pretty worried about it because it just took me out of commission. I had so much pressure in my head; it was like it, it really felt like my brain was on fire at sometimes. And um, and this was like right after we just sent a guy home uh, with cancer, and so. Uh, I'm freaking out, <laughs> like, nice. oh my god, I'm gonna die, right. and uh, you know, and uh, I call up the president, who of course never believes anything. Anytime someone ever complains about a health problem, he's like, yeah, just walk it off. Like he never, he never <laughs> believed. He always just, he just always assumed that we were trying to get out of work. It's like, uh, just be more spiritual, and you won't get sick. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you have well, to that... get the healings. Have your have your companion you know, do a blessing. Oh god. Yeah, because those work so well. Sinusitis can actually travel backwards through the cavernous sinus and uh, get into the meninges and cause meningitis. I mean, you, potentially, mm -hmm. that's why we treat it. If it was just bad pressure or pain, we wouldn't worry about it. But uh, you could die if you let it go too long. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's comforting to know now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, and it's comforting <laughs> to know that the remedy for that is, you know, read the scriptures. And right. Then exactly. Walk it off, eat some crackers your, yeah, and drink up seven and have up. your companion squeeze some oil on your head. Yeah. yeah. yeah literally, in the last um, six months or so, we, we did have a guy come into the clinic, and I think he had a bad sinus infection, got septic, and, and passed away. So mm -hmm. it, it can be can be really serious. So, mission presidents, all you mission presidents who are listening to this episode. I'm sure there are plenty. All hearken, <laughs> hearken to your missionaries. Health problems. What's um, what's preparation day? Uh, you want to take this one? Ah, uh, preparation day. That's the day you get one day a weekend. Not really the full day. You still have to do your studies in the morning, but that's the day that you're supposed to do everything that you don't do in normal days, like you have to do your laundry and write letters to your parents. And Masturbate. Yeah, get some exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you? I, you know, I envision you guys all playing basketball on your prep day, out there. That often happens. Actually, soccer. Yeah, with the soccer, not basketball. Soccer. So yeah, and you, sometimes you get together with other missionaries. More often than not, probably you get together with other missionaries. Or sometimes you just. There were certain preparation days that I just slept through the whole thing. You're just so exhausted from the week. So is it kind of like a day off? Is that what this prep day is? Kind of, except for the things you're able to do are very limited. You can, you, know, you, can you can catch up on your journal, develop your pictures, write letters, um, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Can, oh, yeah, can you actually life. escape your companion during these preparation no, days? Never. Not. Never during the course of the two years. You can never escape your companion. So you, you take your prep day with your companion. Is it a certain day a week, like is Saturday prep day? or um, does it, it, vary? it depends. Like. For us, it, at the beginning, I think it was Wednesday, and then it got moved to Tuesday. And oh, really? for him, it was Monday. Always. Yeah, it was always Monday. What are your Sundays like? Aren't you supposed to uh, rest on the Sabbath? Uh, no, well, theoretically. That's the argument I was trying to make. But, I was <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was 
that was unfortunately the most productive quote unquote time of the week because you know members are already doing spiritual things on Sunday anyway they're kind of you know they've already set aside the day to do churchy stuff so doing more churchy stuff with us wasn't a big deal and that was when you had a much higher likelihood of them having a friend over to take a lesson or something so gotcha. it was actually like prime prime missionary time uh, that's kind of dickish on the members part I mean you're inviting your friend over for dinner or something like that and oops surprise the missionaries are here uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, a, that's what's called a missionary opportunity, Leighton. You you got a friend over there, and you fulfilled your premortal uh, obligation to them. Well, I can understand the missionary opportunity, but this is friendship dickishness. Leighton switch. Well, yeah. Leighton, it's not dickishness because how happy will you be when you have soul, uh, you know, saved even one soul on the other side? That when you've sold your soul to the LDS church for three <laughs> hours a day or every Sunday, and oh God, they just pull more out of your life every day. What's very common, you don't hear about it all that much, is you are consistently spending personal money just to survive. Oh, that's dickish. And you're, and sometimes you know, uh, you have to depend on the bank. You know, you, you know, you use your debit card, and you, uh, and if the bank has money, you can get money, and sometimes. Like, I mean, didn't your banks fail while you were down there? Yeah, I was down there at, just uh, after 9-11 when Ar Argentina and Uruguay both plunged into depression. And the, the the bank where we would get our money was the only bank in town, and it closed. So we had, oh, no, way of, oh, we had no way of getting money, so I just had to survive on, like, I had, like, 10 bucks on me. Uh, and I had to survive just eating, like, oranges and bread for, like, a month. Now, you can spend American dollars down there, right? Well, we would. Uh, you'd have to. Con well, you you can, but the, they usually don't give you a very good conversion rate if you're yeah. just buying stuff. I see. With it, they really try and screw you there. So I mm -hmm. wonder if if you had the bank account, because I'm thinking if my son gets in on a mission, I'm not sending the church three hundred seventy five dollars, but I might send him some money personally. Yeah. Well, the bank automatically converts it if that's what you're wondering about. You can pull it out of the bank, and they'll automatically convert it. I was thinking of mailing yeah. him a hundred bucks or something like that, but. Oh, don't do uh, that. You'll get the money swiped. Are you <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. If the swiping doesn't get you, the money changers will get you. Just put it in a bank account and let him use his debit card. And, yeah, that's and, the way to do it. And hope the bank that he goes to doesn't fail. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we had to live off of very little. Like, I, I think if I were to – I took pictures, actually, of some of my barren cupboards that I never showed my folks, but if I did, they would cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would cry because they're sending this money every month and you're not getting yeah. it. Yeah, none of it gets to you, really. But suspiciously, your mission president is getting fatter and fatter and fatter. <laughs> well, and the mission president lives in this really nice house way yeah. outside of the mission, like yep. like super nice house, and that made me angry. And he had and he had a cook and you know the cook for him and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, he was living pretty well. I mean, he was a rich guy anyway, and he actually yeah, so he's like, probably spending his own money as well. I'm sure the he did. He actually uh, he was he was a successful businessman in Washington, and, and he actually bought them bought a car to drive because he was because the mission presidents are there for three years while Ward is there for two. So he's going to be there for a while. He bought a car, like a really nice car. I forget what it was, like a BMW, some kind of um, some Jeep or something, and. Um, and he also donated just a ton of computers and Palm Pilots and stuff like that to uh, to the mission. So that was kind of cool of him. But meanwhile, uh, you know, when we when we go to these meetings, uh, the big like the big mission meetings we have to go to uh, every few weeks, they would 
provide food there, but then they would charge us for it. We had oh. no choice to go to the meeting or during the meeting go out to get food anywhere else. We had to eat there and pay for it. Those Big sons of out. bitches. Mm. Did oh. you guys ever think of overthrowing the mission president and establishing your own rule? <laughs> no, because the mission president is a prophet in this area. <laughs> that, is, that is what you're taught to believe, that he, he, like the prophet, has a direct line with God, and he especially called to direct the things in the mission, so he can do no wrong. Wow. And that, is, that is exactly how you, th- you think of him as he might as well be an apostle. Now, are they literally expecting you guys to survive <laughs> off of family members or family in the wards to feed you? Uh, yeah, kind of. They, yeah, they're supposed to. And, and in some areas, um, they'll have like these little uh, calendars where they pass it around, Relief Society or Priesthood, where the members sign up like, oh, I'll feed you lunch on Wednesday. And then, and then they have it. Some missionaries do okay, but it never really lasts for a long time. Um, and none of my areas ever had had a decent, you know, <laughs> didn't have people who ever fed us. That's because um, they're tired or, tired of you freeloaders. So no, what the, no, it's because they're all mooching off the church welfare system and don't have anything. <laughs> That's which is extra insulting because like sometimes if they do feed you, they're gonna they're giving you like the sloppy seconds from the you know stuff that's no good anymore from the church welfare. <laughs> noodles that are totally stale. Rotten and, government uh, cheese. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I had one that was so bad. I. I you know, I it go in in the mouth and directly back out. It was like, <laughs> this is not food. What is this? God, that so, sounds yeah. That just sounds wonderful. Left and right, yeah. And this is all part of the you know the martyr complex that we're talking right, about. Right, sure. But God truly is blessing you at this point. You know, think of all the wife points that you're getting with this. Think of all the rewards you're getting in heaven when you're suffering for this. You're kind of one of those things you tell to kind of uh, what's the word? Placate yourself. Just 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 to kind of <laughs> calm yourself down. Like okay. You know, I'm going through this crap right now, but it'll be worth it later, and then, you know, I'll get this wonderful wife, and, and I'll just look back on this and laugh. Right now All I've got to say is my brother must have been the worst missionary in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what they say. Oh. Yeah. And, and you still see it. You know, it's like, wow, you see his wife? Must not have been a very good missionary. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens. You hear that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> But, I had no uh, idea Mormons were such sexist bastards. Really? <laughs> Where do you think I got it from? <laughs> All right, maybe I did. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> Speaking of that higher standard, the uh, interviews don't stop when you go on a mission, right? You are continually interviewed to make sure you're you're still worthy. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's uh, uh, every – once a transfer, you get a uh, president interview. Every six weeks. Okay. So every six weeks. Um, I actually talked to a, a friend of mine who <laughs> went to the interview and told the truth. He, he unburdened himself that he had actually slept with this young woman, and they didn't believe him. <laughs> they thought he was just trying to get himself sent home. <laughs> Man, I, I think I like this mission thing. They, you get to sleep with women, and they don't believe you, and you've confessed. Hey, that that makes me feel good all like, over. So I'm clear then, right? <laughs> so by my confessing, we're we're good. God, we're good. All right. oh, so I imagine, though, if if you're really a, a true believer, those experiences where you're uh, getting grilled on, on it would be fairly hairy. It'd be pretty. Absolutely. I mean, my mission president was a stern, strict. Uh, he was also a very shrewd businessman. 
And so for me, it, it totally felt like Judgment Day whenever I was uh, getting interviewed. So I was always extra good, extra righteous, had all my ducks in a row and able to answer any questions about the area, anything, just so that when I sat down and he'd just stare at you with his eyes like he's just drilling right through you, I, you know, I could pass it because, uh, you know, he smells fear and weakness. And uh, Well, and to you, you think that he has this power of discernment that he can read your mind. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. What what would what kind of questions would he ask? Were they m- just specifically moral questions, or you mentioned like questions about the area? Would he ask you a question about your investigators and the mission I mean, it, itself? Is he just quizzing you to see if you're working? I uh, I think maybe a little bit. Um, you know, he'll he'll ask mostly moral questions. Um, you know, are you like what? Do you love your companion? How long? <laughs> How's the area going? Uh, more a little more open ended. Um, Do you love your companion too much? <laughs> I don't. I don't recall him ever specifically asking about masturbation or anything like that. Um, I I suspect it was some missionaries he did because there were some that were like just obviously just just messing around and not even trying. But um, yeah, it was it was usually like how's the area doing and, and how's your companion and I'll ask the companion. So how was he as a trainer and all that stuff. But, uh, so yeah, those... general stuff, would he ask you uh, questions like, have you been keeping the law of chastity? Have you engaged in any heavy petting with or, or with your companion or with somebody else? <laughs> no. Uh, no. <laughs> no. It was questions like that. And it, was, it was really more uh, the mission rules. And if, if he suspected any wavering from that, he would get more specific. But he was just like, you know, are you obeying the rules? And like, I can tell if you're obeying the rules or not, but I'm asking you anyway kind of a thing. So... One of you said you didn't have get away with anything. You were goody two shoes. What about the other guy? Uh, let's. Well, the thing is that in my mission, president wasn't very strict about things. He would say like, "These are the rules," but then uh, it was very much focused on the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, which is completely the opposite of most people's mission experience. So, I just I just did whatever I thought was the right thing to do and it's like using the rules as like a guideline so I broke rules all the time <laughs> and I think it's the only way that I could have stayed out there the whole time because I'm just not an obedient kind of guy I just, uh, if someone tells me not to do something the thing I want to do most is that thing that they told me not to do uh, is it with you in my forbidden closet of mystery yeah, <laughs> well that kind of sucks because I would have loved to have, uh, have heard your reaction as this guy's trying to say oh I can tell and you're like, well, fuck you. No, you can't. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Then what? I'm thinking of a number between one and ten. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of the number of things I've done. Which one can you guess? I broke one of the commandments between one and ten. Tell me which, <laughs> <one>. <laughs> which pair of commandments? Now, wasn't wasn't your mission present total batshit too? Yeah, he is. We would have because I was in leadership positions for a lot of the mission time. And we would have these meetings with him, and he would just start saying all these weird things that uh, supposedly deep doctrine stuff that I'd never heard anywhere else, <laughs> uh, like that Joseph Smith was actually blood-related to Jesus Christ. What? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm pretty sure this isn't kosher. Uh, <laughs> awesome. And, yeah, all sorts of weird stuff would come out, and we'd just like, yeah, I think. Uh... Can I put that in the ledger lines? Yeah. My, my, <laughs> my notebook. I think he asked, like, um, uh, 
what it is we do with most of the day. Like besides just talking to random people, another thing that I spent a lot of time doing was um, cleaning up their ward list. Now in an area like just a, an average size city, they would have like an assessment attendance of like 50, 60 people on a good week. And they would have like 900 members like all in that thing. So I go to the bishop and say, can you print me out the ward list and I'll go around and see people who have moved, people who have passed on, people who don't want to come to church anymore so we can remove the records and all that stuff. And uh, I would walk around with this just massive list of like 900 names and go into just all these different addresses. So like you're supposed to go with purpose to, you know, you're supposed to be going to like lessons and members are supposed to give you references and help you out and participate, but they don't. So I spent my entire time walking around in circles looking for addresses that may or may not exist for members that may or may not exist. And that's that was a good chunk of my time was just cleaning up that list because we didn't have anything to do. Nice. Well, and everyone you you baptize turns inactive within weeks. So. Within weeks. <laughs> so there's this huge pressure to get the numbers, there. but there's no there's no system in place for retaining those those people once they're inside. So you Are get you the sense that um, you remember I don't know it was about five or six years ago where they said that. This is a great day in Mormon history where we have more people, more members outside of the of the United mm-hmm. States than we do inside. You get a sense that these numbers are massively inflated. Massively inflated. Like you said, like they would count that ward as 900 people instead of the 60 that actually yeah. attended. Oh, that's wow. fucked up. That's, that, that's a single ward. Numbers. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that's pretty much – that's a typical ward in South America. Yeah, that's very wow. common. <laughs> so one of you mentioned that you spent a lot of time doing the um, – uh, in the administration office? Yeah, yeah, working as a mission secretary, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was the secretary of the mission. This is Mike, by the way. Um, I, yeah, I worked directly under the mission president. So I was there um, when he was picking his, uh, his APs. When, uh, Assistance I, to the president. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep correcting me when I say acronyms. I'm so used to it in my job. Um, anyway, uh, I was in charge. Uh, there, there was originally four positions, uh, administrative positions that missionaries had, and then it got dropped down to two just because uh, we were low on bodies, I guess. There was the um, the finance guy, the apartment guy, the secretary, and what was called the historian. He basically did. Um, he wrote the history of the mission every uh, year. You have to basically write the, what we accomplished this year and how. Just like amazing. keeping track. Oh, he's the annual report guy. Basically, basically yeah. Um, and he also handled the mail and stuff. I, uh, when it was brought down to two, then I was brought in. I was the second person to be that half of the administrative. I was in charge of travel arrangements, uh, inventory, um, uh, entering the uh, uh, anything that was sent to Salt Lake, anything to headquarters, like uh, how many baptisms we had that month, like and the actual like filling out the paperwork uh, and the convert data entry program. Uh, I was in charge of uh, taking the minutes from the zone leader conferences uh, for, for big conferences, uh, whatever the president asked me to do, um, and uh, processing the references. Did I already say travel arrangements? Uh, yeah. And a, a bunch of other stuff. I was so in charge of. Basically, you were the mission president's bitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, I was. Yeah. Did he ever and... slap you down and call you Susie? Um, not as often as I would have liked, but. Um, <laughs> And but the my, skirts uh, he gave you were nice, I'm sure. Only on P-Day. <laughs> right. And my companion was in charge of all the finances and all the apartment stuff, all of the, uh, you know, setting up new contracts for, for places for, and all of the, and all of, yeah, the only time I ever got my full uh, monthly allowance was when my companion <laughs> was the finance guy. <laughs> nice. Pretty much every other time I got, I got, uh, you know, a little over half of it. See, but, it's uh, good to know people in charge. 
uh, yeah, it was good to be in charge. We were pretty powerful, and but we lived uh, in the, you know pretty close to the mission office, and uh, the mission president would call us. You know, he'd call us at three in the morning and say, uh, "Hey, got some missionaries that locked themselves out of their apartment over in the federal capital. Go get them out." And I mean, just any time, we were always on call, just doing random stuff. Oh, this missionary tried to set himself on fire. We have to send him home. Uh, get, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Was that a real thing? Yes, that was a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, protesting that's the way I No, he just, he just went insane. Uh, uh, yeah. It's a lot of pressure. I can see how that can happen. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. So um, then you, I, I imagine you would have gotten a pass on your proselytizing. and. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this special report. A lot of people wonder about stuff like this, like where's the true church and who God is. That's why we are here to explain these things, to talk about the gospel and the truth it brings. God's only begotten, his name is Jesus Christ. We talk of his mercy and atoning sacrifice. Amos chapter 8 talks about a great apostasy. After Christ there was a famine, which fulfilled this prophecy. Many years passed and time fell on 1820. Now doctrines so diverse in churches there were many. Which church is true? Asked the boy named Joseph Smith. And how shall I know which? Sick to side with. So we headed to the woods to do his James Rex. Ask the father and the son which that was correct. The beings ascended with important things to say. The boy was called to be a prophet in these latter days. Joseph Smith acted without any hesitation and with the Lord's help brought about the restoration. What happened here changed the world, let it change your life. The Book of Mormon, another testament of Christ. <laughs> and now we return you to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, we yeah we had an area uh, we almost never went into I mean, because it, when when there was four you had half the workload so you could actually go into the area once I mean we were seriously working like sixteen hour days and uh, in front of a computer yeah in front of a computer and uh, you know we did drive to uh, get the mail from uh, from the capital we we went to the big church offices uh, in capital to. Uh, you know, for random administrative tasks. Um, oh, I was also in charge of the national identity documentation. Uh, for every new missionary that comes in, they have to get their Argentine documents so they don't get deported. Um, and that was a big part of what I did. I drove to uh, the, uh, what do you call the local community center and had them take their pictures and fill the paperwork and stuff like that. And because uh, there was, I mean, at any given time, you had roughly up 250 missionaries uh, in that mission, and I was in charge of all their paperwork, like all their paperwork. So that, that is a lot of responsibility. We, did you just, uh, is that all you did, or did you actually bring your Book of Mormon and sit there reading your Book of Mormon? Did uh, you have time how, to how do, do anything else? How do you study else? for an hour if you're doing 16 hours in front of a computer? Yeah. Really, like you would get up at 6.30, um, you pretty much read a, a half an hour Book of Mormon, uh, shove something down your gullet and run to the office. We very rarely did. I mean, we never did companionship study during that time. Uh, sometimes a little bit of personal, but it was always, there was always stuff to do. And like the president says, I've got a big uh, presentation I have to make in front of you know the area authorities on Sunday. I need all of the mission's um, statistics of converts, of extended invitations, street contacts, everything, all in this big old pretty. Uh, uh, packet, you know, on my desk ready to sign by, you know, by tonight at 8 o'clock. You know, it's just always something insane like that going on. Um, so this so, guy did essentially nothing. You, you did everything for him. 
Uh, no, he actually he did a lot of traveling around. He was he was pretty hands on. I mean, uh, and his wife was too. Like his wife actually went out with the assistants to the prison. Um, you know, she'd go around with them to the different apartments and do inspections and stuff like that. Uh, he was constantly in meetings. He was also, in addition to being mission president, he was um, uh, like an area authority for a couple of branches, like way out in the middle of nowhere. So he had to deal with that too. So you had your fingers in a lot of stuff. Uh when the mission president wasn't there. He, this seems like he was gone a lot. Uh, yep. <laughs> and that's when I would uh, I would sometimes open the board. <laughs> There's Okay, well, uh, when they do transfers, when they move missionaries and give them their area assignments, there's this big old board in his office that um, it's essentially like a, like a big old opening up, uh, I, I don't know, not a chalkboard. Like a big whiteboard? Yeah, like a big whiteboard, but it was... Um, Every missionary had their little like three by five card with their picture on it and uh, and how long they've been out in the field and stuff and basic information and they move them around to different places and every every area had a little slot and they'd stick them there and and like uh, I think it's, if your picture was sideways you were moving into the area if you were um, upside down you were uh, um, a junior companion and there was a code for it. But what they would do is they would um, put all, you know, they'd look at the board and then they'd pray. He'd pray with his um, assistants and they would start moving people around based on how long they'd been there, how how worthy he felt they were. Uh, like, oh, he would be a good trainer. We're getting eight new guys in this week. Who Who is ready to train the next generation? That guy, that guy, that guy, move him here. Uh, <laughs> I even heard the president say, yeah, this guy's a warm body. I'll just leave him there. <laughs> <laughs> So could you sneak in there afterwards and screw up all the assignments? Yeah, I was thinking the same never... thing. I could have gone through there and put it all upside down. I, often, I mean, I often knew the assignments well before anyone else because I was also in charge of the uh, orientation list and, and, you know, again, paperwork. I knew I knew everything. Um, but, yeah, I, I could see him well before uh, anyone. I never, like, called him one because I was a goody two-shoes, but, uh, yeah, I, I knew what was going on. Um, well, you say you're a goody two-shoes, but apparently you uh... – uh, left the building with a bunch of their secret documents. I did. <laughs> uh, I had I had internet thief. access, and I had um, I had access to everything, uh, and including all the several databases um, that we used for our inventory, for our finances, for everything. Um, and uh, some of it was just very interesting uh, stuff. But um, uh, yeah, I I, I um, made a couple of CDs where I. Downloaded all of the databases, PowerPoint presentations, uh, all the uh, no, no, wait, wait. As a goody two shoes, what was your driving force for doing this? Uh, I think it was mostly um, like record keeping, archiving for my own personal thing. Because uh, another thing to kind of understand from, for at least me, uh, this time, you know, it, it's consecrated, it's sacred, it's set apart, and uh, you are accountable for every moment of it. And, um, and there was an inner drive slash obsession for me to you know write on my journal every day, keep record of everything, uh, voluminous, detailed accounts of everything, so that I could assure myself that I was doing the right thing and that it was acceptable to the Lord and that it was all you know every moment was taken full advantage of. So I think that might have been part of my neuroses. I just I took everything <laughs> I could, uh, and also just plenty of stuff that was interesting. I find it interesting that I'm it's. A bad it's it's Mike the good guy who stole all this stuff and not Chris the bad guy. Yeah. Believe me, if I had had access, 
<laughs> There's a reason why you didn't. They, they trusted Mike, and he betrayed them. Absolutely. Um, so what I, kind I, of stuff did you make off with? What kind of secret stuff that they don't want getting out that you can uh, reveal to us? And how much of it can we post on the early geography? Yeah, exactly. See, we've got um, – this is uh, – I've got – Basically, this is instruction from the church to mission presidents on how to deal with missionaries on specific things. But getting along with others, homesickness, uh, feeling physically sick without cause, and self <laughs> Also known as masturbation. Uh, read us that section. Yeah. I'm <clears throat> Ready? Yes. That we should actually just post on the website. Yeah, is it a long section? It's pretty long. Yeah, each, each one of these is a it's whole It's long, page. and it's so good. <laughs> it's pretty priceless. All right, well, we, we could do that as a surprise. Posted for your enjoyment. How well, about stroke your pole? Hit, hit some highlights. Uh, I'll just read you the first paragraph. Experiencing sexual thoughts and feelings is normal. Part of growing up is learning to master these impulses. Occasionally, curiosity and self-exploration in adolescence may lead to self-abuse. This experience is generally fleeting in nature, and the individual's conscience and desire to lead a moral life allow them, uh, allow them to learn self-control. At times, self-abuse can become a habit, which is difficult to break. Sometimes, self-abuse continues because it becomes habit-reinforced by itself. It feels good, so I keep doing it. It is a symptom of personal inadequacy or low self-esteem. Right. It is reaction yeah. to stress, depression, loneliness, homesickness, or boredom. It substitutes for healthy interpersonal relationships and may be part of social withdrawal. <laughs> reaction to over overstimulation from contact with pornography. Uh -huh. It is a result of early intimate sexual contact with either sex, voluntary, or abusive. It reflects a general loss of self-mastery, indulgence, procrastination, overeating, avoidance. Well, so that's just that just covers self-abuse, but what if you go to him and say, I don't consider that abuse at all. I consider it exercise <laughs> of practice. <laughs> I'm just working the equipment God gave me. I am master of my castle, and what are you going to say about it? You've got uh, homesickness. Uh, how, how is separation anxiety related to homesickness? Leaving home produces very natural feelings of homesickness in many missionaries. Homesickness can be painful and can even produce physical symptoms such as crying, loss of appetite, nausea, or headache. So my question is, this, this is all in the masturbation. So my question is, this is the homesickness. That's homesickness. Oh, God, I was sitting there thinking, so you get homesick and you start beating off. That's your loss of appetite. Oh, Bob. And, of course, those those symptoms should be treated by uh, ginger ale and soda crackers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when the feelings don't get better. For some missionaries, the feeling of homesickness are even more intense than those described above, and they last longer. These missionaries may experience, maybe experiencing separation anxiety. If so, it is probably not the first. Uh, it is probably not the first time they've had such feelings. When younger, they may have had uh, to be encouraged to go to school or, or been uh, troubled when leaving home for scout camp or sleepover with friends. When older, when older, the individual may have had difficulty leaving home for college, employment, or, or vacations with friends. Only those who have experienced separation anxiety can understand uh, the intense pain it can bring. It is common for the missionary experiencing this pain to feel silly or weak, as though he or she is the only one who's been through this. So they're essentially diagnosing Probably. psychiatric uh, illness in the uh, missionary without a license. totally qualified to do that. Yeah. Yes, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is just the same as a medical degree. Yes, in psychiatry. Uh -huh. 
I can see it happening. So that's good. We'll post a bunch of that stuff. If you send it to us, we'll post a bunch of that stuff on the site. That's really actually very interesting. Um, and again, it's not like they're uh, yielding themselves to the Lord to get this stuff. They're actually got a big, thick book about it. Here's the problem. Here's what to do. Well, see, that's what I've always loved. I I mean, you and I have pulled out the church handbook, which is only for stake presidents, bishops, things like that. I mean, it it has nothing to do with divine thought. It's, ooh, you're having that problem? Page 64 covers that. Hold on. It's really funny. These guys don't trust the Lord, right? They don't trust people to uh, have any sort of spirit of discernment because otherwise the book would be one page. Pray. I'm sure they did trust the Lord at one point, and then the lawsuits and the fucked up things they did kind of put a stop to that. <laughs> Damn that Lord. Why are you misleading us, God? If my bishop told me to do that, I should do it. He's totally unreliable. Yeah, God told me what to do, but the connection wasn't great, so I didn't get all of it. <laughs> Oopsie. Oh, uh... Just uh, free information on uh, with the references I forgot to mention before. Uh, these references, you know, are the, the same little cards that you'll fill out and give to your bishop, whatever, and they go to Salt Lake, and then they get passed out to all the different missions. Uh, they come in, um, you know, via email, through fax, through whatever means, or sometimes, you know, I answer the phones all the time, so uh, random members would call me up with a reference, and I'd write it down, I'd send it to the assigned area. But uh, there are many, many times where, um, you know, it would cross mission borders, and I'd be calling the uh, other missionaries and other mission offices and saying, I think this is in your area and all that stuff. And there was actually a, a program that I used, um, basically a, a, like a Google map, uh, but nowhere near as sophisticated um, for, for finding that you type in the address of the reference, and then a little flag comes up. And uh, I did, you know, I got several of those per week, sometimes like 30 of those a week I would get, and I'd send them out in the mail. The, the missionaries would get with their letters from mom and dad. They'd get here's a card with some member filled out under duress, probably uh, with their to friend go lives. And, what's that? A person to go harass. Yeah. So your um, the kind of end all and be all of your mission is uh, at least according to the homecomings I've been is uh, baptism. Um, the the kids have been have been sent to these South American countries and tend to get a lot of baptisms. The one who were sent over to Europe or, heaven forbid, Utah, tend not to get a whole lot of baptisms, and they're almost embarrassed by it, and when the other guys are really proud. Um, so I, I imagine there's a lot of pressure, but uh, what, I mean, do you guys have strategies to get these guys in the water? Is it, is it, and, and you being an administrative worker, doesn't that take away your ability to baptize people? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we. Uh... Well, there's one surefire way to get baptisms: just keep lowering the bar. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, I'm kind of curious. For... Did you guys lie about how many bapti- how many people you baptized in your little speech? No, we didn't really have to because you know South America, like you said, it's pretty. Uh, they're pretty much stripping into the font. Yeah, and it's just like there'll be like kids and their parents are going, we want them to be baptized, and like they don't know the difference whether yeah. it's like, yeah, Catholic, Mormon, Protestant, right. whatever. They just need to be baptized. And kids will believe whatever they're told, so yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can easily get a bunch of baptisms by, you know, completing families, or families are not with a member, and you know, they finally get harassed enough. So you that's just... Show up to church twice <laughs> to be baptized. So that... <laughs> So at that point, you're just padding your numbers, essentially. Exactly. That's, that is exactly what's going on. Yeah.
that everyone has like their one or two golden conversion stories like that you know that that meant the world to them because sometimes you just go into an area and they're they're getting wet the next week you know so um for <laughs> bad choice of words they're yeah getting, they're getting baptized the next week. i couldn't and, help but i tried to fight it <laughs> That was that one was for you, Leighton. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I got them wet for you. Anyway, so um, uh, there, you know, sometimes you know you have nothing to do with the baptisms. Of course, many missionaries will count them. Like, oh yeah, I got like twenty five baptisms. Good. And I'm like, oh shut up! You didn't do any work for that, or you just baptized a bunch of children, and their parents don't give a shit. So, uh, um, but there was one that was like my golden investigator. You know, want to make this commercial better? Here we go. Um, <laughs> I go to this guy's house. And this guy was uh, paralyzed. He was um, he, he was actually like a veteran, and he was he was paralyzed, and um, uh, his life was horrible. Like he go into the house, and like his family had completely fallen apart. They all hated him. He was just basically stuck in this room in the corner of the house, um, hooked up to a catheter, and just shitting in his pants. And like his life was just disgusting. And he just all day he couldn't do anything. And um, uh, we show up, we teach him a lesson. And uh, we give him the Book of Mormon at the end, as we always do. And then the next time we go visit him, like a week later, he's like, I want to get baptized. I read the whole Book of Mormon. Of course, he's not going anywhere. So he read the whole Book of Mormon, got converted right there, and he was just awesome. He just, he was always, like, he gave, you know, went to testimony meeting and bore his testimony, like, you know, after a couple of weeks. Like, he, he was, you know, a solid conversion. It was, that was pretty cool, and it was a nice little victory. Well, uh, and after that, of course, you watched uh, his life get better because, you know, he felt better about himself, so he treated everyone else better. His family started coming together. Like, you watched, like, the whole uh, storybook version of the Mormon conversion and how it helped heal this family and all that stuff. Well, I found out that, um, uh, like, about two months before I left, he actually committed suicide. He took his gun, and he shot himself. Wow. Yeah. So that was a great way to end the minute. It was like, yeah, I got my golden conversion. What? Because <laughs> he was in a lot of pain, and he just couldn't take it anymore, I guess, and, and uh, took out his Colt forty five and ended himself. So what so you do was... on your homecoming is you come back and tell that story and just put an asterisk next to it. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> that, that, do stories like that actually make up for God failing you where it came to feeding you and actually providing you with fun? That can't make uh, up for it. The guy killed himself. Well, yeah. he, he, he well, was, if he uh, hadn't found out that part. Yeah. yeah it, it, I mean, <laughs> these I stories, these stupid-ass stories about converting people and how, specially they, how special you felt afterwards, same with them, you made their lives better. How do you – I mean – you, you, you look take, in your you cupboards and there's nothing. Yeah, you, you take what you can get. You were so beaten down and your spirit is just broken. That's like the whole thing, like the first couple of months where you can't understand or do anything. Like this is part of the humbling process. You just it's your spirit being broken and you just stop caring. Well, and you see suffering as something good because it's you know it's yeah. the martyr complex. You just yes. that you want to suffer for it. You something I hate that. That fills up your turbo bar to yeah. suffer. <laughs> now you said you were shot at. <clears throat> what a uh, yeah, that was, was that? Me. That was him. Oh, I was Chris. At gunpoint, but I never got shot at. I can understand why people would shoot at Chris, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about getting robbed, getting shot at, uh, that that type of stuff. Well, and it was always just because we were American or North Americans, not because no. it wasn't because you were Mormon. It wasn't religious persecution, even though it was always spun that way. 
If you get hit with a rock, it's because you're suffering for Jesus, not because you're a North American pig, yeah. Yeah, not because, <laughs> not because the politics is playing out a certain way that I don't like. Yeah. But yeah, just walking down the street one day, a bullet whizzed like right by my head and actually hit the button on my jacket and like had a spark go off. It so was like, we're like, well, just keep walking. I mean, it missed me by inches. So God protected you. That was yeah. lucky. Wait, wait, wait. Was it actually aimed at you, or was the dude shooting at somebody else? I have no idea, because it came from behind, and it was while we were walking down the street. And uh, we're like, well, just keep walking, maybe a little bit faster. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've I've had you walking down the streets, and, uh, you know, rocks just explode right by you. like, oh, shit, what's going on? You look around, and you see this gang of people, like, these guys are going to kill me. Let's uh, walk a little bit faster, Elder, and, and, you know... Uh, narrowly escape being mobbed. Yeah. You should have asked them if uh, they had time to discuss their eternal salvation. Yeah, you, you got God on your side. Who 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 should you fear? <laughs> yeah, it is funny because you do you do believe that you have divine protection, but it, it's kind of like that doctrine. Is kind of uh, maybe I'll I'll try and do a good job of explaining it. Where um, uh, they say God won't do anything for you that you can't do for yourself. That you're supposed right. to put in your best effort and God will do the rest. It's right. it's kind of that same principle with with the Lord's protection. If you put yourself in stupid positions, then he's not going to protect you, which is I guess really not all that much better than him not being there at all. But, <laughs> right. Uh, exactly. But, but you know, I I even wrote in my journals, I was really reading it the other day. It's like, you know, uh, I would never come here by myself or never come here without the Lord's protection. I'm like, I mean, I'm never going back there ever again. Like, I'm sure it's gotten worse than when I was there, and it was pretty rough when I was there in most of my areas. So you got mugged at gunpoint, huh? Yeah, I was walking down a, a street, and, and by the way, in violation of no no rules, it just happened to be uh, just, it was actually uh, friends of some members that we had just visited. So we come out of the members' nice. house and went to, to visit another friend, and uh, uh, he just uh, looks at us, stops us, and he pulls out a uh, a twenty two caliber pistol. I'm like, oh shit, that's a kind of like target practice. It was, it was a Ruger. I'm like, oh my god. I mean, there's, you know, in my guns, you do not want to be shot by a twenty two, and uh, those things they bounce around and tread you in the inside. But I digress. And the guy so, said, "Hey, gringo, give me your book of Mormon." <laughs> I want your pamphlets and I want them now. <laughs> I mean, and that's the sad part. All we had on us was stuff that we give away for free anyway. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I, lost, I lost. I lost the fanny pack that I wore. It was actually kind of dorky, so it was for the best. But uh, it was. I. I. You know. I lost. Yeah, you you said, "Hey, that pack back. cost me thirty-seven dollars." <laughs> but it only I, cost five to make. Oh, that that one actually I I broke in my first area. <laughs> nice quality. That's, that's money well spent. Yeah. By the way, I went through uh, three pairs of shoes in the mission, one of which lasted two weeks, and then Bush is just a complete piece of crap. By the way, we're walking in um, uh, it's, you know mud all the time. When it rains, obviously more muddy. But uh, oh, I didn't mention the uh, open sewage lines. Uh, instead of oh. uh, instead of normal gutters like you see in the United States, imagine. Um, open sewage with feces and whatever else you can possibly imagine goes into open sewage along most of the streets. Sometimes they're dried up, but sometimes they're not, and it just smells like, uh, well, like you would imagine open sewage. (laughs) And that's in most areas. Oh, and by the way, um, the trash cans there, instead of having like regular-sized trash cans that you bring out every week, um, they have like this little uh, a basket no bigger than one you'd see on a normal girl's bike, you know, about that big that they pick up every week. So a family of four produces about a bike basket's worth of trash per week. No. 
they they throw out the rest of the garbage and burn it on the street. So that's why you smell burnt garbage all the time. Excellent. And feces. So very lovely. Very lovely. Well, the feces is used as just logs to keep the fire going. Uh, and it says it's subtropical climate where I was at. So you know it was you know very rainy one season, very hot uh, the other season. But uh, you know you you uh, we walk in both. And I actually like walking in the rain, so it's not a big deal. But funny enough, uh, one of the things you're supposed to bring with you is an umbrella, which is completely useless in Argentina because as soon as you whip it out, the uh, the umbrella completely folds up and flies away. Cause it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Setting and, it free in its native land. Yeah, and the, the craftsmanship of pretty much anything you buy in Argentina is total garbage. That Nothing, nothing lasts. So if you buy an umbrella there, uh, don't expect it to make it home from the store. Of course not. It was made by Lamanites. <laughs> yeah. They haven't become righteous enough, enough yet. Don't understand good craftsmanship. That's right. All right, Chris, why don't you tell us some experiences of yours since uh, Mike's been stealing the whole show? He's been hogging the mic. Yeah. Most exactly. of his day was sleeping in his room, cuddling with oh, his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Occasionally yeah. getting shot at. Yeah. <laughs> and just being sad when the bullets missed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh god I have to continue well it's weird because uh, to missionaries out in the field you'd rather you'd rather be dead than come home early that's kind of a general consensus cause, like, yeah what is hey, that Mike. return with honors or whatever it is yeah that's kind of whichever with, with your shield honor. or on it right yes. <laughs> uh, no different there yeah the Spartan mentality but, um, <laughs> exactly uh, and I had this discussion with multiple people because I was always with other people's companions because I was in uh, uh, leadership positions so I was always going and evaluating the work of other missionaries so I would talk to them about you know all sorts of things and that was a message I saw a lot that, like hey if we get killed out here that's actually a good thing direct line you know, to heaven directly yeah. to heaven right and, uh, yeah yeah like uh, the hodge getting killed on the hodge exactly you're ticket. doing the lord's work yeah uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time with a lot of people, and instead of focusing, because I really didn't care a whole lot about you know, teaching people lessons, but I didn't care about like learning about people and and all that stuff. So I just spent a lot of time talking to people, and instead of teaching them lessons specifically about church things and trying to get them baptized, I would just you know, try and help out because the only thing I could do to kind of keep sane. So. My numbers were always really bad, but they would put me in leadership positions, so numbers didn't really count. I was always in other people's areas. You would have gotten your ass chewed out yeah, every week. Yeah, messing up their numbers instead. But not in my numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but I do I do have a couple of uh, significant memories of... Because uh, I, I did a lot of studying because I just wanted to make sense of everything. And in our mission, we actually got... Because they have the siesta where in the afternoon everyone just goes to sleep for two hours. And so we just got extra study time because you're not going to go knock on people's doors if they're asleep. So, you know, in our mission we had a, a ridiculous amount of study time. So I you know, read through the, you know, the Bible cover to cover and all of the all the reading we were allowed to do, I did. And I got permission to read other things uh, that were kind of messed up. So, like church books, but that went a little bit off the deep end, like a lot of Jeffrey R. Holland stuff. And one of the things he said was, um, is it possible 
that this book could have been written by a farm boy. And so I was like, huh, I, I, let me read the Book of Mormon again from that standpoint. Read it from cover to cover uh, and ask myself this question all the way through. And this was, I mean, I had like two weeks left before I was going home. So I read the whole thing in those two weeks, cover to cover, and at the end I determined, yeah, this could have been written by a farm boy. Yeah. The answer is yeah. resounding yes. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah. If when you, you don't got... go into it with the assumption that it's some sort of you know transcendent work, there's really not a lot to it. And it's really right, redundant. Yeah. It have been kind of juvenile. So that's uh, that was an interesting way to, to end things. I remember in my in my last six weeks, uh, and my companion didn't really care about anything either. So we we would just you know sleep in every morning and just kind of you know kind of saunter around, not really trying to get a whole lot done. Because it's just like you know we're on borrowed time. We're going home soon, and this all just seems like bullshit anyway. Yeah, you're almost done. Yeah, there, there's really no reason to continue. Now, one thing that I always uh, kind of found interesting about the Book of Mormon is it's supposed to be translated from some ancient uh, um, you know, language into language that we would understand today because it was supposedly written for us, right? Why is it written in the, the crazy verbosity of the King James Bible? Why doesn't it sound more like you know, even 19th century English it's instead of, what was it, 14th century English? You know, just with with the way that they said things like yeah, God surely, just miscalculated he's like Victorian English I think yeah I mean because if he wanted us to really understand it concept by concept he would put it in ways that we can understand and maybe not fall asleep while we read it yeah I would have been more impressed if like you get to the middle of it it'd be like Alma section 32 and the whole verse would be how <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking hip-hop for Moroni. <laughs> he goes out <laughs> rapping down the street rather than carrying a flag. Yo, uh, I'm going to get them suckers out there. Uh, Chris had kind of a, uh, was it, Book of Venus experience where he wrestled with the, with prayer all night? Yeah, well, oh, yeah? Was, yeah, because in the field they're like, you have to get a witness. And then someone like, I still never really got it. And this was like halfway into it. And I'm like, I still haven't gotten that like feeling that you're supposed to get. And so one night I couldn't sleep, and so I just stayed up all night praying about it, like reading the Moroni promise and then praying for a while, then reading it again, praying again. And I stayed up all night until until it was morning, and I hadn't got an answer, and it was time to go. So I'm like, well. Time's up, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Time to shit or get off the pot, God. Better give me that burning feeling. So I, I just never got that feeling that, I, that I'd heard described so many times. And, you know, that was it's a pretty clear answer. If, if you're like, look, I've given up everything. I come here, I've read this book, I'm asking you yeah, to validate if God is not going to give you that burning sensation in the middle of a fucking mission, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's just God telling you, "I don't want you in my kingdom." <laughs> so you're not or, mad. or he just can't hear you. You know, I'm sorry. Uh, what? It yeah. bounced off the the roof. Old and senile. <laughs> He's been around for a while, though. Got by a satellite on the way up. Is that some white boy praying to me out of South America? What the fuck? 
<laughs> I thought he I sent there. all the brown folks down there. <laughs> oh, God. So that didn't work out for you. Yeah, I had a similar instance. I think Leighton did, too, and, you know, it all came up negative. Yeah, uh, my, mine was I was searching for some sort of answer, got dizzy. Oh, wait, it's because I was anemic at the time. <laughs> You say, tell me a faith-promoting mission story. Like, oh, I don't have many faith-promoting ones, uh, but <laughs> I do have – what I have is a series, a catalog of repressed memories where, like, it, it gets sparked by something. Like, um, I was talking to my boss the other day about how she missed the train. They said, oh, yeah, I, I heard it was because someone committed suicide. And uh, then I remembered, oh, yeah, I actually experienced that down there where we were on a train and we ran over a guy. And they stopped the train and kicked us off the train and made us walk past a mutilated corpse. Now, wow. That's, and I completely forgot that. That's my point. I had completely forgot that it even happened. I never know when anyone, at any moment where I'm talking about someone, I go, oh, yeah, a mangled corpse, you know? <laughs> and, and... Hey, I've got a story for that. <laughs> There's a horrible story, except if it was Glenn Beck. <laughs> Like, have you ever seen a body cut in three pieces? <laughs> That's two years of, of not getting enough sleep, not getting enough food, massive amounts of stress, and feeling totally inadequate because you're never meeting the goals or expectations of the people around you. And this is supposed to promote good Mormons? I can see torture. I can see that you um you feel like you're partaking somewhat in the suffering of Christ, right? the mm -hmm. martyr complex and you're sharing in Christ's experiences, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure, you know, if you emerge from that with with any type of personality intact, most of the time it's it's a really good way to keep you involved in Mormonism. If you survive yeah, that, it's like freaking prison camp. Yeah, well, suffering not only for that, a cause will you to it. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you go through that shit and all of a sudden discover Mormonism is just bullshit, you start thinking back, I went through that, I'm sticking to this, because that's yeah. fucked up. Overall, I don't regret going at all, because I got enough language out of it, I got a ton of life experience, I got some great stories, and, you know, it, it makes a man out of you, because you survive, and, you know, uh, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm not damaged, I'm not shell-shocked or anything, but, you know, I, I kind of had that mentality anyway, again, wanted to go in law enforcement, but... Uh, it changes you though. It definitely you're a different person when you get back, no matter how it goes. Mm -hmm. These are some of the the most crucial formative years of your life. You're uh, hitting your sexual prime at this time and being told, "Hey, stick by this guy and don't look at girls <laughs> for two <laughs> years." Uh, and unfortunately, I think it changes most people for the worst. Because I mean, uh, my brothers, them coming back from their missions, it, it, they were somewhat normal beforehand, and then they just went off the deep. Deepened after that. I think it really screwed up your brothers. Uh, seriously, I was I was good friends with both of your brothers before and after the mission, and after uh, they were very different people and people I liked actually a lot less. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, because there's just there's no more dimensions to them. Everything it's yeah just very unilateral. Yeah, I did want to talk about the the um, kind of shell shock of coming back uh, to the normal um, everyday life, but. Before we get to that, um, you, let's talk about the close of the mission. What happens toward the end of your mission when you guys are winding down? Yeah, do you get a letter saying, okay, you get to go home now, or do they a just... A form letter that? from the prophet? Hey, good yeah. job, thanks. <laughs> and that's a form letter from the president. I know because I sent those because I was the mission secretary. 
<laughs> so you guys are done with your mission now, uh, and they give you uh, some sort of parting interview? Yes. Um, this was, like, the most horrible experience for me. Now, I was... Uh, I I'd worked in the office, so I had um, taken part in in uh, the kind of the whole party and and uh, admin work in relationship to them going home. So I, you, at the end of the mission, my mission, you go to the president's house, uh, you know, the mission home, like this really ridiculously nice place that the president lives in when you live in a shithole. Right. And, um, you have this really and amazing dinner. Um, there's really and- no reason to uh, say anything bad during this thing, right? The guys spent two years working for the church. The least you can do is say, you know, some very nice things to this missionary before you go. It doesn't yeah. even make any sense why they would be needling you for anything because yeah. you, I'll, you I'll, just spent two years. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll address that. So you, um, so I'd seen it many times, but I, you know, I never done it myself. Uh, when it came time for me to go, you know, I had to, had the good dinner and all that stuff. Then you you go upstairs into uh, you know the attic where it's just you and the president talking. And uh, he, you know, says a couple of nice things, and you know, it's, he knew me pretty well because obviously I was his bitch for a long time. So, uh, yeah. you know, we talked. You about apologized for being hands on with his wife and right. uh, uh, and his son and <laughs> his dog. His dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I only apologized to the ones that he knew about. Uh, oh, so <laughs> he didn't know about the cat, huh? Uh, anyway, so he. Uh, gave me advice, and some of the advice was um, when you're looking for a wife, because that's obviously the next step, um, right. look at her mom, because that's what she's going to turn into. <laughs> if, if her mom is fat and yells at everybody, she's going to grow up to be fat and yelling at everyone. And you uh, said, truly, words from the Lord. God, um, are you there? And then, <laughs> and then after that, um, what he did is said, okay, now is the time that we're going to kneel down together and offer up your mission as a sacrifice to the Lord to see if it's accepted. What? Whoa, that's weird. And you pray, and you offer it up, and you don't feel anything. And it was the most horrible feeling I've, among the worst I've ever felt in my life. And that, because, I mean, like I was telling you, I was neurotic about assuring that every moment I had was being taken advantage of, that I was doing everything right, that everything I was doing was being accepted by the Lord. And you, and you develop a, you know, a very personal relationship with God. And then you say, here's everything I have run myself ragged for your work. Do you accept it? And I got no answer. And I had oh. gotten answers. I had gotten the uh, burning bosom. Like, I got the answer in Book of Mormon when I was 17. I had felt good, like, every day of my mission. You know, almost, you know, many days of my mission, I was on a spiritual high because I was loopy on lack of sleep. But also, I really believed in what I was doing. I was, I'm grateful that I didn't have the burden of, of doubt while I was serving it. That came much later. So I was into it. I felt like I was, because you get out of it what you put into it in any experience, and I put everything into it. And I got a ton out of this experience. But wow. then when it came to that, I got God slapped you in the face. And that gave me quite the chip on my shoulder. You know, uh, my brother tells me that I was a total dick when I came back, and uh, probably because I was feeling so horrible from that experience. Yeah, well, so you that, just spent your, your two years of your life serving God, and he couldn't even give you a pat on the back. <laughs> That's God essentially saying, uh, fuck you, and uh, thanks for wasting the last two years. That was one of the greatest things about my deconversion, is I didn't have to carry that on me anymore. 
Yeah, it makes sense of a lot of things, doesn't it? Man, when I when I uh, finally let go, the world made a thousand times more sense. Yeah, it all it all clicks together, and you're like, "Fuck, I was messed well, up." There's a whole bunch of things you don't have to deny anymore. Yeah, right. And you yeah. can't tell me he's a just god when you work yourself to the bone, and he gives you nothing at the end of it, and then and he is in breach of contract. He didn't do any of the things he said he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they're hoping that you've worked so hard that you'll convince yourself. And I get, I guarantee you, nearly a hundred percent of the missionaries will do this. They will work themselves up to convince themselves that they felt something from God. Mm-hmm. When they'll find out they were anemic. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's what happens when you're praying about going on a mission. So. That was latent. <laughs> uh, so you couldn't even convince yourself. You were waiting for something external to yourself. Never happened. Never happened. That's God, I feel terrible. It was horrible. Chris, what was your experience on your exit interview? I was really pissed off because uh, the mission president that was presiding over my mission for the whole time I was there left a week before I did. Ah. So they, they serve for three years and missionaries serve for two. So there is going to be this overlap. You know, it's, it's inevitable. But uh, this guy came in and the exit interview was the first time I'd met him. And he... Uh, and he had never met me, so he's trying to tell me, you know, uh, it is something like, well, I'm sure you did a great job. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, make sure you, uh, you know, do the right thing from here on out. Uh, bye. Don't marry fat chicks. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's like, like, wow, that, so that's, that's the goodbye I get, huh? That's probably in the manual. Tell the missionary yeah. to look at a future spouse's mother. Yes. <laughs> Does she have kinkles? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, wow, what a big goddamn letdown after the whole, for both of you, after spending two years out of this whole thing. I wonder um, how common it is to get a letdown like that. Uh, well, God doesn't exist to give you that uh, pat on the back. <laughs> I don't know. I, hey, hey, look, my dad gets that pat on the back. So uh, all the time, all the time, even the when time. he's being told wrong by God, he's getting a pat on the back. So it it, it exists in someone's mind. So now you guys fly back, and you're in for a second culture shock because you've uh, spent the last two years of your life um, praying, studying in this uh, spiritual bonanza, essentially, and now you're back to real life. What, what, describe that for us. Well, you have the homecoming, and uh, I was so devastated by the end of, of, of my mission that when I gave my talk, I must have been completely incoherent. I, I don't even know how I made it through because I was just, like, ready to burst into tears the entire time because you're up there in front of the whole congregation that loved you and sent you, said you're the most prepared missionary I've ever seen, you know, you're going to be the best missionary ever, and you come back, and I'm just, I got, I just got totally boned over. I don't know, like, I don't even know. I, I don't know if I was accepted. I'm just completely just lost. And uh, surprisingly, I didn't leave the church then. Now that I think about it, I'm not really quite sure why. I think it's just because you're so trained to feel inadequate that that was just more of the same. Yeah, guilt is part of the game. Yeah, you, you start thinking, well, I am the one that was at fault, not God there. Right, and, well, that and the common thing that I hear is, uh, you know, that I, w- I would also tell myself is, you know, there there are two parties in this contract. One of them is perfect, one of them isn't, so therefore it must be my fault. And, right. Uh, 
I mean, it's par for the course in that particular relationship. Um, now, did you bear your testimony on your homecoming in your native language or your foreign language? Oh yeah, I mean, oh yeah. god, I hate it. Incredibly that. easy to do. Yeah, it's, I mean, I yeah. tried not. To. You tried not to. Yeah, I was because uh, I said it's like yeah, let's play it. I'm not going to do it. And then as I'm walking out the stage, the bishop grabs me and says, "Go up and do it." <laughs> Are you shitting me? I I hate that part because yeah, then they're just mumbling time. for like ten yeah, minutes. It's and... like no one knows what I'm saying. I could yeah. just be saying anything. Well, it's, the Spanish is a common language. There are plenty of people that knew what we were saying. Yeah, I was gonna say if it if it weren't for the other return missionaries in the audience, you could have just given a, a string of profanities for like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, give a brownie recipe or something. Try it again so it's believable. Yeah. <laughs> So how long did it take you guys to get back to what you would consider normal when after you came back from your mission? Um, I, I don't know. It's it's tough because, uh, you know, after my mission, uh, you know, during the mission, I was in dangerous areas and constantly on the defensive and always looking around and just being super aware of myself. After that, I worked in a shooting range where I'm constantly assessing, you know, the people who come in, watching their hands, looking at their eyes, uh, you know, see if they're drunk, whatever. And then I worked in private security. So, I mean, I never really normalized as far as that stuff is concerned. So you're still uh, not normal. Oh, I'm totally not normal. <laughs> I thought that was pretty much noticed from the beginning. Yeah, and people tell me all the time that I I look just really intimidating because I look people in the eye <laughs> all the time, and I'm always watching what they're doing, and I'm looking around uh, for exit points for, you know. <laughs> it might, might be the event. fact that you're carrying around massive size drumsticks everywhere yeah, you go. Yeah, just in case someone gets uppity. No, just, uh, just, uh, no, just a Glock 17. But, uh... <laughs> With uh, drumsticks for sights, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. I didn't feel normal until I left the church. And that wasn't for another year. So it, you know, nothing made sense. I don't know. Nothing made sense until I realized, oh, it's because it doesn't fucking make sense. Oh, it's <laughs> all bullshit. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> It came out like the week before my folks went to pick me up from my mission. They came home from vacation early and saw him uh, hanging around with a girl. <laughs> Messing with a girl. So uh, that was uh, like a week before. They, yeah, they, like right before they left. Nice, very <laughs> and nice. And so they come and pick me up, and they're they're pretty depressed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We had we had an awesome time, including walking with penguins on Penguin Island in Argentina. Uh, that was really cool. But uh, yeah, it was it was nice. very it was. It was uh, very sad, and my dad took it more personally. So, um, Chris, you lasted about a year. So you did a two-year mission. You lasted about a year, and then you're like, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. Wow. It was Well, it was a year of slow decline. <laughs> yeah. Until I'm just like, look, I have to tell them that I don't believe in any of this anymore. Yeah, the yeah. Jack Daniels, I'm sure, when you told, helped. <laughs> that and the crystal meth. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, the common statistic that I was quoted all the time uh, in the mission field is that you know our mission it was the uh, Argentina Buenos Aires West mission. Um, the common statistic was that um, most like eighty percent of missionaries go inactive w within five years of leaving this mission, and uh, I I'm I missed making five years by like four months. <laughs> <laughs> I am a statistic. Excellent. Wow, that's something to be proud of. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, that makes you do something right then. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me wonder what exactly they're teaching in the mission field that smartens people up. 
Well, they probably get back and figure out that they were lied to. Doesn't take that long. Look, I my mission was a big 24-month pile of shit, and I didn't get a beautiful wife out of it. <laughs> I got this piece of crap. <laughs> <laughs> if I that trade it in, can I upgrade it? <laughs> Well, it's strange though because you do get there's a lot of well in Mormonism in general there's a lot of um, investment justification that has to happen if you start you know you make larger and larger commitments yeah that you can't just walk away because then you've admitted that you've wasted so much right I yeah. think that probably is the initial justification for circumcision <laughs> <laughs> I've already given up a piece come on <laughs> I can't leave now. I'm surprised by how well-adjusted you guys seem and how non-bitter you are over that fact. Um, one of the reasons, you know, I was never really a member of the church, um, but I, for me, the, the two-year thing was never an option, and it seemed to me up front like a complete waste of time. Um, and I guess, Leighton, you were a member of church, but uh, you kind of felt the same way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and of course, when I finally walked away from it, I was pissed off as hell with all the wasted time, wasted experiences, so on and so forth. So and you didn't go on a mission. So, no, I um, didn't go on a mission. It's so. uh, it's surprising to see you guys are are taking it in stride. Um, what type of medication are you on? <laughs> I think the glass half glass half full thing, where you know, it's better to get out. Now, then, you know, like, imagine how much more we would have wasted had, had it taken us, you know, 30 more years to figure this all out. It's I mean, true. I got a, I got a second true. language out of it. I got a bunch of hilarious yeah. stories. I got a lot of street smarts out of it. I got, I mean, I learned a ton. Like, I, yep. I am not regretting really any actions of my life at all. But will I'm, those stories I, help you get chicks? Sometimes, surprisingly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All but, right. Uh, yeah, I developed really good peripheral vision because uh, people tried to run me down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not pissed. The only thing that I was really bitter about, um, I mean, the Book of Abraham was definitely a nail in the coffin for me as well. But what pissed me off was the whole Nauvoo Expositor thing. Is that because I'm, you know, my one of my passions is constitutional law. When I see. You know, someone that I would have taken a bullet for, Joseph Smith, you know, uh, preaching that he was a prophet of God and he was a good man, an honest man. And hearing how he was trying to suppress free speech, it, it makes me so angry still thinking about it. That's that's the one thing that really pisses me off. Yeah, for how um, democratic he set up the church and all the stuff in the Book of Mormon, how God raised up these people to be, you know, the, this nation of free thinkers and, and this religious uh, country and how they're all inspired by God and then for him to turn around and trample on the First Amendment of the Constitution like that. It's pretty, you know, even going so far as to have this shoddy or false democratic process in the church where everyone votes on shit. Um, that's how <laughs> far he went. And then, yeah, at the end of his life, uh, throws a printing press out of the second story. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's yeah, because they were saying stuff. Really, yeah, really reasonable sounding things that were actually true, and You're talking right. about his complete kangaroo courts that were convened. You know, uh, you know, they said it was one day, then they held it another day and convicted the guy with no evidence. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Heaven forbid they talk about uh, say true things about Joseph Smith and his multiple wives. Well, some things are true that aren't useful. <laughs> Very true. Very true.
I was awesome. curious how easy it was to approach a woman and ask her out on a date after two years of this. It actually wasn't that difficult. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, we're, we're pretty suave, so I don't think we have a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, find desperate is my yeah. guess. Yeah, desperation does a lot of things. <laughs> actually, Hello. I, I never talked to any of the girls at, at the church because I, just looking at them, I'm just like, yeah, these, I think they all have mental deficiencies. <laughs> I'm like, I, I didn't give no... half a cow for you. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to spend five minutes with you, much less eternity. Yeah, that's uh... absolutely case it's a bunch of either children or career obsessed people it's just it was not a good dating pool and that you got just nonsense and and uh everyone being judgmental and shit it just it was a very unpleasant situation to be in and it was not made any better by our asshole leaders who told us what losers we are that we weren't married yet yeah <laughs> right you gotta you gotta choose one of these ladies and marry them <laughs> Unf- right unfortunately now. Yeah. Um, it depends on the, the ward you're in. In Utah, I think the maturation process of females is stunted a little bit due to the all the sheltering and all these <laughs> weird, weird, weird beliefs about, you know, the females' places in the home and all this stuff. And their goal as females, you know, you guys' goal as, as men is to go on a mission and uh, maintain your priesthood vows and then start a family. You're going to be the head of that family and the god over that family and the king. The women's job is just sort of a supporting actress. She's <laughs> and it's, I don't know, that's something that's always sickened me about the idea. That may be why I, I've never really dated Mormon chicks, is because they were just so submissive. It was irritating as hell. Fight back, yeah. goddammit. That's, yeah. why, that's why he didn't date Mormon chicks. Yeah, that and they didn't like me. Then they're dipshits. Flaky dipshits is what I mostly saw. That oh. and his gay tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> Just because I was banging the guy next door doesn't mean I can't have me a Mormon chick. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't see the difference. <laughs> yeah. So though polyandry was never really approved, but uh, poly- polygyny is... Stuff, yeah, you know. although there were a lot of men selling themselves to other men in the early church. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Never we should do a, anymore, we do should do a never, podcast on that. that. Yeah, we should I do a podcast on that, that Layton, definitely. And <laughs> yeah, we can throw it in with our Prop 8. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to say, I, I, am, I really appreciate um, having this podcast, not only as a good tool for learning more stuff about Mormonism, but also a place where I can you know, tell people what this church is actually like, what it's actually doing to these people, and um, how it makes you feel, and it's been very therapeutic for me, as well as hilarious talking to you guys, but uh, I feel a lot better now that it's all out. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, listening to that, I mean, we, we try to lighten it up, but it, truly that sounded horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that... so we're trying to cram two years worth of awful within, you know, two or three hour podcasts. Right. So it really doesn't even scratch the surface. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't sure. know what else I've repressed. And that's that's <laughs> not think that's disturbing to me. We'll just yeah. pin you down, peel back your eyelids, and start flashing images at you. <laughs> we'll just keep it repressed. Yeah. All right, great. Um, we may have you guys back on uh, to discuss other Mormon topics. Um, we may have just a roundtable discussion now that both of you guys are, are out of the church and in the position of being former apologists, maybe, with that Palmer dude who said he was a Mormon but isn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lying sack of shit. 
No, he did. Yeah. He did pretty well. Actually, actually. He, did, he did really well. Yeah. yeah, he did better. When I listened back to it and was editing it, um, the first half was actually kind of embarrassing. Um, but the second half, I thought uh, we crushed him, certainly on the Book of Abraham. But there's nothing really you can say. I mean, you only have what you have to work with. There's no new yeah. apologetics on it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he did really good. So we're going to have him back on and talk about it from an apologetic standpoint. Maybe we'll just do a roundtable with all you guys. Yeah, I yeah, became an great. expert in apologetics through all the cognitive dissonance I had to sift through throughout the yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good having you guys perfect. on to shout it out. All right, great. Cool beans. Thanks for coming on again. Anytime. So good, it must be played twice. A lot of people wonder about stuff like this, like where's the true church and who God is. That's why we are here to explain these things, to talk about the gospel and the truth it brings. God's only begotten, his name is Jesus Christ. We talk of his mercy and atoning sacrifice. Amos chapter 8 talks about a great apostasy. After Christ there was a famine, which fulfilled this prophecy. Many years passed and time fell on 1820. Now doctrines so diverse and churches there were many. Which church is true? Asked the boy named Joseph Smith. And how shall I know which? Sick to side with. So he headed to the woods to do his James Rex. Asked the father and the son which said was correct. To be ascended with important things to say, the boy was called to be a prophet in these latter days. Joseph Smith acted without any hesitation and with the Lord's help brought about the restoration. What happened here changed the world, let it change your life. The Book of Mormon, another testament of Christ.